Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Hi, and welcome to this episode of the How of Car Washing. This is your host, David Begin, and my guest today is Dean Saboka. He is the uh, owner of the Saboka Performance Group in Denver, Colorado. Uh, Dean is focusing on, he really focuses on developing highly effective teams that are focused, aligned, and inspired. Uh, Dean's a 25-year veteran in the meeting and and events industry. And in the last 15 years, he's really focused on uh, training and coaching in the area of leadership and development. And uh, Dean spent his early career in travel agencies, and uh, he's a member of the National Speakers Association. And He's, uh, he's got their highest designation, which is great. He's only 12% of speakers worldwide hold the professional designation of certified speaking professional. And he goes around all over the country, working with different organizations, helping them develop their team. So Dean, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate uh, you joining me on the How of Car Washing. Hey, great to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so what, what made you transfer over? I knew you had a really successful career in the hospitality industry. But uh, what made you kind of transfer over to want to, um, you know, start working on coaching teams and developing teams? You know, it's really just a, a passion for people achieving their potential, helping people, whether they're individuals or teams, and ultimately impacting the organization to achieve their potential. And what actually attracted me, that's what always been my passion. Um, even back in the college days, I always was fascinated by psychology and the behavior sciences and why people do what they do and how do you bring out the best performance. So that's always been my passion. And even when I got into the hospitality, it was really the, it really was a company that was a performance improvement company, but they had an incentive travel wing to it. And that was kind of my introduction to hospitality. And then I really just fell in love with that industry and in, in both in operations and sales roles. Uh, but the the essence of my business now and that the, the common thread has always been that passion to help people and help teams achieve their potential. Yeah, so you, you actually got a master's degree in organizational performance and change, which is an interesting master's degree. I think that would have been a lot of fun to study. But primarily, what did that degree teach you and help you with? It's almost like, you know, you, you study psychology at the individual level. It's, it's basically organizational psychology. You're understanding the, the people dynamics and, and how they impact the overall success of the organization. And it, it was a fascinating program because it was really a cohort of, of, of a group or money of it. Much of the work we did was really team type projects. And I actually, even when I was getting my master's, was working. I remember having a project with, with Hyde Hotels at the time and was working a live project following the principles and methodologies that I was learning in my master's program, which was, which was really great. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you focus primarily in the hospitality industry. You focus on a lot of different industries, but you sort of started and kind of focused on the hospitality industry. What are some of the challenges that you think like the hospitality, I think the hospitality industry, the car wash industry to me is somewhat like the hospitality industry where we're servicing customers. What are some of the unique challenges that you find in the hospitality industry where you feel like you're able to help organizations improve their teamwork? Yeah, and, and just to clarify, I, I, I do focus on a lot of work that I do in the hospitality industry because it's my background. Um, but what I would, but I work with plenty of organizations uh, across the board and across industries. And I find, first of all, there's similar 
similar trends that are happening in the marketplace that I think a lot of organizations are facing, dealing with four generations in the workforce, dealing with uh, you know, technology, um, competition, the pace of change, things are happening faster. I would say specifically to answer your question, the hospitality industry, it's, you know, there's, there's just an increased demand on creating the, what they would call the guest experience or their client or customer experience. And there's more and more of a trend that everyone's looking for an individualized or customized experience. Uh, and I think that's what I've seen in, in the hospitality industry. The, the, other, the other challenge that I, that I see that they face is how do you take a vision for the organization? Like what's happened in the boardroom? <laughs> and how do you get that to the frontline staff that are interacting and actually you know, engaging with your, with your guests in the hospitality industry or, or customers or clients? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That absolutely is a challenge when you get it down to the individual team, team level. How do you, you know, cause, cause it's great creating a vision, but then it's, you know, the challenge in every organization, especially in the car wash industry is getting your team members to execute on that vision and understanding yes. why you do what you do. So, so you, you actually spoke at the car wash show this year. So it was your first time to be at the car wash show. Yeah. You the yes, it was. Series. Yeah. So what, what were some of your takeaways from that? You met a lot of people, you talked a lot about a lot of issues. What were, what were some takeaways from the car wash show that you uh, you were able to gather? Yeah, I really had a great time. A lot of great people and a lot of, you know, owners of businesses and that, you know, a car wash specifically, but it's still, they face very similar challenges. So a lot of the things that I heard from some of the owners of car washes is the same challenges I hear in other industries. And that's, you know, how do we, how do we retain top talent? How do we engage and in, in hire and develop effective managers to lead my business and and i think also in your business you have to deal with what some call the insane public right that's yeah yeah <laughs> that's 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 a word i use quite a bit is the insane but you know the, the the general public i think can be irrational about lots of different things and i think it's just human nature and uh, and then when you're talking when you throw in their most precious asset which is their vehicle mm -hmm it actually compounds the problem. So you might have, might have had a bad experience, you know, having a dinner or at a hotel or something, but when you throw their asset into the equation, it even it even increases that emotional issues uh, exponentially. So yeah, you're, you're exactly right on that. So that's good, good. Well, we appreciate you coming to the Car Wash Show and I and, uh, got a lot of great comments from people that I talked to about your sessions. Um, but, you know, one of the things that we struggle with in the car wash industry is, you know, when we hire employees is getting them to see the overall vision of what we're trying to create and actually create a great experience for our customers. Because I think people are coming, they're not only coming to the car wash to get their car clean, but they're also coming for the experience. Yes. And to get people to buy into that concept, you know, they've got to be interested in being part of an overall team. They're just not a solo worker. Um, you know, we've heard a lot about the, the later generations, you know, not joining associations, not being members of anything. But do you still think that, that, that people in general want to be part of an overall team and buy into a vision or are people still very much wanting to do their own thing? I do believe that people want to belong to a community. They want to belong to a team. They want to be a part of something bigger than themselves. And, and, and so I, I know I've heard a lot of millennials and you hear all the talk of, you know, what's in it for me. And, and I actually, in my experience, I don't think millennials want a lot of things that are 
different than what a lot of the other generations want. They want to be valued. They want to be appreciated. They want to do meaningful work. I think they, I think they're just more assertive for asking for what they want. And maybe some of the other generations are just a little jealous of that. And if they're not getting what they want, they leave. And especially in a strong economy and they're not driven, maybe some of those same things of, of, you know, maybe some of us that are kind of the gen X generation think of like, put your time in and you work hard and, and, and you want to, and then you want to get paid and it's about the money and it's about climbing the ladder. Uh, and, and that's not, um, I don't think that that is um, exactly where some of the millennials are coming from, but I would say at the essence, it's the same. People want to belong. They want to be a part of something. They want. They just need to be bought into it. They need to feel that they're they're part of that and what's in it for them. And I believe that's a leader's a challenge and opportunity is how do you align what's in it for me? Which, by the way, I think other people ask too. That's not just a millennial thing, in my opinion. How do you align what's in it for me with that ultimate vision of the direction of the organization? Okay, so you know there there are times when everybody wants meaningful work, but sometimes work is work and it's not meaningful. Does does this whole idea of teamwork and what you do contributes to the larger good of the organization and to the customer experience? You know, if you're if you're cleaning hotel rooms or you're loading cars or you're having to clean up the parking lot, whatever it is, sometimes the work isn't terribly meaningful. Is it our job as car wash owners and managers to give it meaning or how do you how do you deal with that? Because sometimes work, you know, I mean, from from my perspective, it's not always glamorous. And, I, you know, everybody wants wants the job where maybe they're, you know, they're they're dealing with customers all the time or whatever, but sometimes there's aspects of the work that's not like that. Yeah, that's what, that's what I actually learned growing up from my father too. He's like, you know, I would call and say, man, I can't believe this, this boss is driving me crazy. I'm just not really enjoying my work. And he said, son, that's why they call it work. If it was play, right. they call it play. It's work. So I can totally appreciate that, that sometimes it's just work and you, and you got to get the job done and it may not be something you enjoy all the time. That being said, yes, I do, do believe it's part of the leadership to lay out a vision of something that ties the work to something more meaningful and, and make that connection to the work and the vision of something greater. And I believe you can do that. I think you can do that with washing dishes or drying cars. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. And I, I think as an owner and as a manager, and I've, I've gotten better at this in the last couple of years, but I will always tie what we're doing and equate it to the customer experience. So if we've got a problem in the tunnel and equipment's pulled back and it's not working, that affects the customer experience. Absolutely. And by the way, and you, and you asked, is that the type of work I do? That is the exact type of work I do. It's how do you, and, and that's the term I use is this team alignment. And, and what that is, is, and I believe including more people in that process. So part of the process when I work with organizations is I talk to different people within the organization. That goes from everywhere from ownership to managers to supervisors to frontline staff and kind of get the essence of, of, of what's going on as far as the culture of the organization and, and, and identify what are the what's supporting the success of the organization and what's hindering progress in the organization. And then do a team alignment session where you bring all the players together so they feel that they're part of creating that vision. Now, there's certain things that have to be achieved. I'll work with organizations wherever they are. Some organizations, for example, they already have their values and they are, may have certain things. Well, you, then, then those can be included. If not, you start with the values. You get the core values, what we stand for. 
what are agreements together of how we, how we work and how we operate as an organization. Then you move that into the vision. Where are we going? What's our direction? And you help them see how they fit into that vision. Then there may be moving that into goals. Then you can even move the goals into individual expectations and you move that into performance management, performance management conversations. And then that's a lot of the work I do after is training managers to be great coaches, which is exactly the keynote that I did at the car wash was an overview of, of the model that I used for that. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. And, and I, I think that aligned team is so important. And, you know, as a small business owner, it's difficult for me to sometimes create what I, what I want to call the, the aligned team or the overall, you know, the vision. I think we've done a pretty decent job in creating values and, you know, and, and creating what we want as an overall experience for our customers. And, you know, believe it or not, Dean, the mistake that I made as, a, as an owner for years is I would ask people to do something and, and the question would come up, why? So, because that's what I want you to do. You yes. know? And that didn't resonate very well with employees. And you know, well, who cares what you want? You know, but, 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 but then I started in the last couple of years communicating. The reason why we do this is for our customers. So our customers having a bad experience, our customers coming into a place that's not up to standard in terms of cleanliness, you know, our customers that have an experience where all the equipment's not working or whatever it is, I've translated that. Uh, it's not about me. It's about our customers. Yes. And I think that's, that's helped resonate why we do what we do. And I think it, it, you know, I think it helps employees understand, okay, okay, now I understand what it is, why he wants this. And, you know, I, I have this little thing in, in, in my business where I try to open 10 minutes earlier than we say we open. Because if people get there, you know, a few minutes early, I want to have the doors open ready for them to go. Yes. So instead of opening at seven o'clock, I said, we open at 650. Right. And, and for a long time, it was, you know, why, why are we doing that? You know, and I, I hate going to a business. I don't know if you do, but I hate going to a business totally, yeah. where people are standing outside and it's five minutes to, and you're looking through the window and you see those employees milling about, not doing anything, waiting until nine o'clock or 10 o'clock to open the doors. Yeah, I think, I mean, that sounds like such a simple thing to open at 650, but in the service business, as you are in the car wash business, it's, it is about exceeding their expectations. So how great is it you arrive a little early and you're open, you get going and then you're on your way because they want efficiency when they come to a car wash, right? And, and you're providing that and they're maybe getting their car wash before they head to work. Yeah, that's exactly right. I actually went to Costco yesterday in, in the Springs and they were open a few minutes earlier than 10. They open at 10 o'clock, which to me is super late. Uh, but you know, they were open at nine 45 or nine 50. And I, I appreciated the fact that they were open a few minutes early because there was a lot of people that showed up early waiting, waiting to get in. Absolutely. I'm sorry. Go ahead. When you share, well, when you shared earlier about the, the kind of the, the, what and the why, I think it's a very common challenge. A lot of managers like, and this is back to previous generations. If I just say, Hey, I told, because I told you so kind of feeling, right? Like, well, right. Yeah. I think that is a distinction that millennials are going to say why. And then we've heard the whole concept of the why generation, right? So right. I do believe leadership, you know, but to have clear expectations, that's the what, and you don't want never want to not have clear expectations because anytime someone doesn't know what they're supposed to be doing, that's always on the leader in my experience. Then right. it moves it into the why, why is this important? Why is it important to them? Why is it important to the organization? Why is it important to the customer? How does that lead to success that ultimately does tie back to what's in it for me? And, and I think it's even asking them, why do you, instead of just telling them, Sometimes it's asking, and that's part of the coaching approach that I, that I train folks in is, is like, ask them. They know. Come on. Like, why do you think it's important? And, and let them yeah. actually reflect and think about why could it be important to open at 650? What could be the impact? 
and let them start to connect some of those dots that increases the why. And they can connect and they start to see their part in delivering on the why. Then the next part is the how. Do they know how to do their job? They know what, they know why it's important, and do they know how to do it? That would be more like training. Do they have the training they need to be successful? And then once they have those things from a performance management standpoint, then it's do they want to do the job? Because if they're clear on expectations, they know why it's important and how it ties back to them, and they know how to do it and have the training to be successful, then the last piece is, do you want to do the job? If the answer is yes, are you doing the job? Are you doing it effectively? If they're not doing it, you coach them around that. If they don't want to do the job, then you either fire them or you're, they're going to be coached out because they're going to choose not to be there because they don't, they don't fit. And I've worked with plenty yeah. of organizations to help them do just that. Because when you create a culture where there's clear expectations, there's accountability, people know the why, they know the vision, they know how it ties back to them, they know how to do it, and they're trained to do their job effectively, there's nothing left. There's no more excuses. You can't say, well, I don't know what to do, or I don't know how to do it, or I don't get that. Then it gets down to attitude. And that's when it comes down to if people don't have the right attitude, you get rid of them. Yeah, yeah. And I, I couldn't agree more. And in the last 18 months, I have focused on really developing expectations and accountability. That, that has given me management clarity in ways that I've never, ever had management. I, I, you know, I was always frustrated managing people, but I, I never used the tools of expectations and standards and accountability. Yes. And and when, when, when I had a problem employee or somebody wanted to kind of go off the reservation, I would say the, the expectation is you've got to be here 15 minutes before your shift. That's the standard. That's the expectation. If you're not, then we need to talk about it. But that's, that's what you need to do. And top talent, yeah. by the way, loves accountability. Too often I, I see managers, and, I, and this is part of my trainings as well, where I see managers, they have this like, they get uncomfortable with holding people accountable or what you're saying about holding a standard, they get like uncomfortable. The thing is, if you're not doing that, the top talent sees that. And the top talent doesn't want to be part of an organization that doesn't have standards and accountability and expectations. Then you lose your good people. That's right. Yeah, and I, I agree. And, 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 and that's the one thing I realized. I'm not doing this for the marginal employee or the employee that's not a good fit for the job or the organization. I'm creating standards for the, for the top producing employees because those are the guys I want to keep. And those are the guys that are always watching to see what's going on, to see how management manages. And if there are no standards and if there are no, if there's no accountability, those people are going to get frustrated and they're going to go somewhere else. And I, I totally agree with that, that that's one way to develop a high performing team is, you know, stick to your standards, stick to your expectations and stick, stick to your accountability. And, you know, you'll eventually weed out those people that don't belong and the people that want to be there and the people that want to do a great job will stay. Yes. And the beauty of that, by the way, and ultimately what you want as a leader, David, is you want to instill that, especially if the owner of a car, watch, you're not always there. You need to depend on the, the, the supervisors or the managers that are actually there running the business. And you need to instill in them where they're holding that standard. Then ultimately it goes down to the supervisors, ultimately goes down to frontline staff. I know there's different levels and uh, of how the sizes of car washes and how they operate. But then you, um, then when it's instilled all the way, the beauty when that happens, and I've seen this with my clients is the culture holds the standard. The people hold the standards, the colleague, that's out there drying off the cars. If someone's not doing their job, they point it out. We don't need a manager or somebody else to come tell us because they'll start holding each other accountable. And that's when you know you've created the culture. 
Yeah, yeah, and I was going to ask you what your definition of culture was because a lot of times that that that's an overused term, and I, I love the idea of a great culture. I think of companies like Chick Fil A, you know, and their culture, and and it it, it goes back to my question that I was going to ask about what happens when you hire an employee that doesn't like the culture, and they're going to they're and and they're going to fight the standards and the expectations that are set in a company. Can can a person like that damage the culture, or I guess if it's a strong enough culture, they're not going to. I would assume, but you know, what happens when you hire an employee that that doesn't fit? I believe that one person can damage the culture. Period. I've seen it. Okay. I've seen it, and it's and it's um, when when somebody because it, it's there's a dynamic that gets created. They don't fit the culture. They're fighting the culture, and it's like almost like having a cancer. Then it's like the, the water fountain you know, conversation and then it starts to grow. Then it, all of a sudden they got somebody else and then it, it starts to build and, and then there's either gossiping, negativity, whatever it is, it starts to eat away and then it can impact the rest of the organization. And often you have other people, same thing, top talent is looking at that and they're like, what is, why is leadership dealing with this? Now, what I hear sometimes from leadership is, yeah, but they're, 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 they're a star employee. They do great work. They're a high performer, maybe, in, in their role for what they do. So is it worth having that, you know, high performer, sacrificing a high performer for the culture? And the answer to that is absolutely yes. And we see it all the time. Think of professional sports teams that have a, a rock star, all-star, all-pro, you know, wide receiver. And that person is eating away at the culture, and they let them go. They cut them. Why? Because they know the cost in the locker room the cost of them being a cancer to the culture will ultimately negatively impact the performance on the field, even if they alone are a star performer. So not only would I say one person can be a cancer, even if they're uh, an effective, successful, they perform well, it's not worth keeping anybody that doesn't fit the culture. And by the way, do they really want to be there? That's, that's back to coaching them out. I mean, that's, that's when I've been in that situation or helping someone who's, who's in that situation. I'll just ask them, like, ask, do you want to be here? Because what you're pushing for is not what we stand for. And let them choose and say, no, it's not the right fit. And that's okay. We don't need everybody. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. And, and I've fallen into the trap of star performers that are wrecking the culture who, first of all, I feel like, well, I need them, right? So that's that I've kind of compromised the culture by saying I need them. But there's also that second mindset that they have, like, I'm indispensable. I'm doing such a great job. I've got such a knowledge base, especially in the car wash industry, because we're growing so much in this industry. And to get people with any sort of expertise in yes. car wash equipment or management or any or the, the POS systems or whatever, we're desperate. And I've, I've had other colleague friends just hiring people that I, you know, that, that I wouldn't hire or they're just hiring people that, that are not good fit because they're desperate to fill slots and fill roles. And, you know, that's going to bite them, I think, in the long run. But, you know, we, we end up with, if we end up with this mentality that this person is indispensable, I think that's where maybe the whole, or, you know, that person starts running a month. Yeah, I think that's a common challenge, especially in, in your industry where things are growing so quickly and in a strong economy. And how do you, you know, how do you get good people? And you got to kind of like, I'm just trying to fill the spots and you have turnover because of whatever, people going to college or whatever it is. Um, I, I think in, in that situation, it's 
I get that you may need to bring people in that don't have the same level of experience, but they do fit the culture. It takes more of an investment of time and training. But if you do that and you know they're, they're good fit for the culture, ultimately it's gonna to lead to more sustained success. Otherwise you're sacrificing the culture for that experience because you don't wanna put the extra work in on the training and development, but it gets back to attitude. If you don't have the right, if you have the right attitude and someone that's like, hey, I'm committed and I wanna learn and I wanna grow, and they're eager, you can develop them. And then you develop them to ultimately gonna support and be more sustained success. Otherwise, you're gonna still have that cancer. Even though the short term, they may fill that spot, long term, it's gonna come back and bite you, in my experience. Right, yeah, no, I agree, I agree with that. You, you gotta make those investments in the right people and, and you gotta make investments in training. And that is so difficult for a small business owner to do. It's, I, you know, I believe it's easier for a larger corporation because they can hire people dedicated to corporate training and and development but it's super challenging for a small business owner to do those things but you know i i made the investment to hire an operations manager about a year and a half ago and that investment has paid off in spades because he can dedicate his time and his effort to hiring and developing and training employees yeah you know i've really. and i can totally appreciate that everyone has to walk you know watch how where they make their investments but i i see clients that i work with and i've worked with some fairly small businesses and seeing the impact that it can have. The great thing about a small business is the impact of getting that ROI can be turned a lot quicker. I understand it's smaller, so the overall numbers aren't as big, uh, but you can have significant impact in less time. That's why I actually like working with more, you know, small, mid-sized businesses than I've worked with some large corporations, but it, it, it's, uh, it, it, things aren't as efficient and that process and impact of what you want to what you're trying to do just kind of drags on and there's too many, too much red tape in my experience. So those aren't actually ideal clients that I like to work with. The more smaller right. organizations are usually more, more nimble and more adaptable, which by the way, I think is even more and more needed uh, in today dealing with rapid change. It's such a quality that is needed in organizations to be able to do that effectively. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. One, one, one of the tenets you talked about is how you teach employees to focus on what's important. Can you describe that a little farther and, and how do you, you know, in, in my perspective, everything's important, but, but you want to teach them on what's most important and what are, what are some ideas around that? Helping employees focus on what's most important is really about, you know, prioritization. There's so many people, I mean, the biggest thing that I hear from people is everyone's so busy and everyone's right. overwhelmed. Everyone's feeling anxiety at work. And stepping back and getting clear on it, go, it kind of goes back to our our vision our strategy what we stand for how do we incorporate that into the organization and saying what am i doing that's aligned with those things the values the vision the mission the goals and too often people get distracted because of busyness or interruptions or whatever it is and helping your team to be able to identify those distractions versus what's most important is critical to success yeah, yeah. And I, as you were saying that, I was thinking about, okay, so I've got employees that sometimes want to mop the floor in the customer service area rather than be outside taking care of customers or talking to customers in the parking lot. And that's where, you know, the job of sweeping is important, but we don't need to sweep the we don't need to sweep or mop the customer service area 10 times a week. We only need to do it once a week. But if we know that the core value is about the customer experience, then we know that we would weigh the interaction with a customer higher than mopping the floors for the seventh time in the last two hours. That's right. Doesn't mean right. the other thing's not important, but it's not most important. Right, right. So yeah, so as, as you were saying that, that kind of helps me kind of 
clarify that there's a lot of jobs that need to be done, but but if you have to choose between this and that, you know, obviously customer facing activities and customer experience activities are going to be the most important ones. Yes. Yeah. So do larger corporations, it seems like every time I, you know, I, I had a corporate background as well before I got into car washing and it always seemed like we talked about culture in larger organizations, but then it never really, when it got down to it, you know, it wasn't a, it was like we, we created our mission statement every year and we tried to extract culture from that. And there was something lost in the translation between what we were actually doing versus what the mission statement and the corporate culture is. Do you, do you find that challenging with larger companies more than smaller companies or what, what happens in that process? I, Yes, and I see that all the time. I think with larger companies, you may it's maybe more dramatic because they actually make some investment in do in, in getting clarity around those things, and they put it on the boardroom wall, and it's hanging there, and it's on their website, and all of that. But I don't I don't look at a culture, identify a culture by what's on their website or walking, you know, see, seeing what they post on the wall. I see the actual what's happening. How how are people interacting how are they interacting with their customers how are they interacting with each other what are the what are the behavior what are the norms how do they operate what are their agreements together as a team as an organization on how they organize and communicate and that's where you pick up on what those what the essence of what the culture is or what the core values and when i work with organizations if they do have values i ask them like just what what how are those lived out? How do I see those? How do I see those in behaviors? And then that's when you can identify, hey, we're really living out this culture or we're not. And if you're not, you start asking yourself, how can we more customer centric, for example, could be a core value. Great. What does that look like in the car wash business in your business? How does it look like when a customer arrives? What does it look like when they go to pay? What does it look like with all their different touch points that they have? Because they're, the experience that they're having is every touch point that they have with a human being through their experience for the amount of time that they're there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I certainly agree with that, that it's, it's how it's executed. And as you were saying that, I was thinking about companies like Chick-fil-A and Disney, the ones that we sort of hold you know, as high standards as far as corporate culture and how they deliver what we, we like to call, Henry and I like to call remarkable customer experience. Yeah. And, you know, that's when you think about what they invest in, in order to make sure that their their teams are executing the way they want to, to develop, to, 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 to deliver that experience. It is truly amazing what they're able to do, but they're not any different than anybody else. It's just something that they've focused on. It's just, it's really the, the process of focusing on those things. Absolutely. But if you're not focusing on your culture, that everything else, that's the foundation of everything you do, then what are you focusing your time on? Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. it impacts right. everything else. Yeah, and, and, and that, that's one thing I've gotten clarity over, I think, in the last couple of years is we focus on these things and we focus on the customer experience. And, you know, everything we do and everything we develop is around that. How do we create a great customer experience? How do we improve that customer experience? What are, we, what are the tools and systems we have yes. to create a, a great customer experience? You know, I think the other piece, David, that as we talk about culture that I, that I, I feel that I, that I see and when I do these team alignment sessions that I find that is the most consistent, like most important 
like core value, if you will, it's around trust. It's, it's, uh, it, it's really about, we, we talked about the value of like belonging to a team. When people feel that they are part of a team, they're part of something bigger, like we talked about earlier. But the, the foundation of that is, is, is in trust. It, it's in, in, in my model, I call it straight talk is a piece of this where you're, you're able to have open, honest communication. This ties to accountability, setting expectations, when something's not working, when there's some type of breakdown. From all people, there's a, it's safe. There's a safe environment where people feel comfortable being open, honest, and sharing. It's inclusive where people don't feel shut out. And when you create that environment and that's the foundation, that is when I find that teams can take on the other challenges. If there's some other challenge they're dealing with that they need to overcome or something they need to work through, when I do my team alignment sessions, I start there. I know if I start with the relationships and the foundation of trust and the open, honest communication and the safe environment and vulnerability, when you do that, everything else becomes easier to deal with whatever challenge comes up. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. I was just thinking as you were saying that, you know, um, have I created a culture where people can come up to me and voice concerns? And I, I hope so. I hope I've done that. But, you know, but in thinking about it, I don't get a lot of line employees coming to me and say, hey, I got this issue. You know, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? Maybe they go to the operations manager. Um, you know, I, I've tried to make myself more accessible. It, it's, it's amazing as the owner, you know, people are sometimes afraid of you. And I, I've, I've, I've always had that. I've always had that aura around me where, oh, he's the owner, you know, and right. people are kind of afraid of you. And I'm sure that's, that's a lot of the behavior that I have when I go on site. I'm, I'm one of those people being that, you know, I can, there could be a thousand things going right. And I can find the two things that are broken or not working or not right. <laughs> and that's either a gift or a curse. Right. I think it, it's a, it's a gift from a high standards perspective, but it's a curse from an employee perspective because you're not always pointing out all the great things that you're seeing. You're always looking at the things that can get better or be improved. And so I wonder if I've created that, you know, for myself where people are not open and, and encouraging to come to me and talk about things. Um, I, I think they've done a good job with Matt, you know, with, with the operations manager and with the site managers, but I wonder if I'm, I have some work to do. In that. I think that's common that a lot of leaders and what you just shared, David, you know, feel people feel a little intimidated, re, you know, regardless, just because of the position. Um, when I work with, with leaders, I always challenge them to, as I was sharing in these team alignment sessions, I always shared them to be the first to be vulnerable because yeah. the core of building that foundation of trust that I talked about earlier, trust is built from vulnerability. And that's basically a safe environment that people can be open, authentic, and real. And when you create that space, and if the leader does it, at least in the experience I have in, in doing the sessions that I do, it, there's almost like that wall goes down and it just opens up a, 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 a more, it just starts to impact, everyone else starts to feel comfortable and then it creates more of that safe space. And once again, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't like a feel good, like, oh, we should everybody be happy. No, it's about trust. It's about, wow, we get it. This is open. This is safe. This, I feel I belong. I'm part of a community. That is invaluable. People who really feel they're part of a team and a community have that sense of belonging and they're working towards, and they've made that connection we talked about earlier to a, a bigger vision of what we're trying to accomplish as a team, whatever it means to win as a team. That's what leads to retention. Right. 
Right. And that's a, that's that's a good point. And I, I'll have to think about how to do that. But I think that's that's a great point. One thing I did started doing last summer was having breakfast, going someplace, having breakfast with two or three team members and letting them, you know, chat and, you know, just just kind of letting them get to know me a little better, but also I get to know them a little better. And I think just that personalization sometimes can make a difference when, you know, you, you start, you see the person after spending time with them, you know, you get to develop a relation, a personal relationship with them. What have you seen like, the impact? Because I think that's very valuable to actually sit down, maybe have a meal together to get to know them, to ask them some questions, to listen, to allow them to be heard have you have you seen some some success or some impact with those people you've spent that time with? Yeah, I, I do. I, I feel like when I walk on site, there's not that, you know, there we're talk, we're looking at each other as individuals, not not our roles, which I think is important. I get to learn more about them and their family and their situations, um, which I think is helpful. I, I think there, there's a lot, you know, I think that the atmosphere is a lot more relaxed. Yeah. And I think that's what I'm you know, if nothing else was was achieved from that, you know, that that being relaxed, I think, would make me a little bit more approachable. So if they want to talk to me, they'd feel more comfortable to do so. Sure. Most people probably don't do that because it's the time. It's back to the time investment. And right. it's like, well, I don't have enough time to do that, to sit down with people, and blah, 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 right? But it's, it's, it's like any of these things we're talking about. It takes this investment in people, investment in developing people, investment and getting to know people and to listen to people and appreciate all of those things, that's what strengthens a culture. That's what strengthens an organization. And it does pay off, but it pays off long-term. Some of the short-term things like we talked about, it's like, wow, it's going to cost me time, but I might not get that immediate ROI. But if you're, if you're that short-sighted, you're not going to see the impact that's possible when you do some of those things like you just shared. Right, right. I agree. I agree. And I, I you know, we have made that investment and I've seen some of the, you know, our turnover is down quite a bit and historically car washing has pretty high turnover sure. and i think we've really lowered our turnover you know where we're, we're, our, our teams are working well together i think if we do get a bad fit they don't last very long because um, I, I think the team is willing to kind of speak up if somebody's not not working well because it, you know in the car wash environment it's important you work as a team you know, you've got three or four people on site or two or three people on site and they've all got to do their jobs and when somebody's not doing their job the other two or the other person kind of has to pick up the role. So it becomes pretty apparent quickly with such a small team if somebody's somebody's pulling their weight and fitting in and buying off on the culture versus not. Yes. So the service workforce is growing in the United States and probably over the world. Um, and what's what's kind of the state of the service workforce, do you believe? I mean, is it is is the environment getting better? Uh, are companies making the investments that they need to in general? Uh, do you think there's going to be winners and losers in the future from, you know, companies that are going to be ultimate winners and ones that aren't? And what do you think the differentiators are going to be there? You know, I think overall I'm optimistic. So this is not research-based other than some of my, my experience, but I'm, I'm optimistic when you invest and develop people uh, that you're going to, you're going to, you're going to see that continue, that it can be improved, that it can continue to get better. As far as winners and losers, um, I think the winners are ones that not only they invest in people, things that we've been talking about uh, on, the, on this call. Um, and I think they're also, they're, they're able to change and adapt and be flexible. I mean, I think it's, it's such a, we're in such a dynamic world with, with the amount of information and how fast change is taking place and technology. And, and so things are happening so fast 
that that ability to be able to be nimble, that ability to adapt and be flexible, uh, I would say that along with investing in your people and developing people will lead to the winners. So what's important for me is if my employees get to better themselves, I'm excited about that opportunity. If I'm the guy that trains people to go be shift leaders and site managers that are car washes, I'm, I'm personally excited about that because I want my guys to, to better themselves. And as a small business owner, I only have so much opportunity that I can give employees within the organization. I only have so many car washes, only so many site managers. And so if somebody really wants to be a site manager, I'm, I'm excited about giving them an opportunity at another car wash. And if they're well-trained and they've learned a lot from us, that's going to make their organization better. So yes. I've, I've, I've always had that mindset that it's, you know, I, I never worry about employees leaving after training. I, I you know, I want to make that investment in the employee and let them do what they need to do. Yeah. I think the, and that's the attitude that I think all leaders should have because if you're helping, I always challenge leaders and that I work with and is what are you doing to develop people? Like if, it's a core part of your job. If you're in a leadership or management role, you are a people developer. What are you doing on a weekly basis to develop people? It needs to be one of your top priorities because that's the yeah. definition of being a leader or being a manager. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's where the car wash industry is starting to see an inflection point. And there's, a, you know, owners and operators that are figuring this out are making the investments in their employee and their managers and their people. Yes. But there's, there's a lot that are not. And I, I think I think they're going to suffer in the long run. You know, it's very challenging when you have an employee not show up for work and you've got high turnover and you're constantly trying to hire and you're trying to get them to do the job and you're not training them. And, you know, it makes for a miserable organization. And the guys that are, that are I think, in the car wash industry, they're going to be the winners are the ones that are going to really focus on employees and employees. Yeah, I think in, in, in your industry where the turnover is so high, you have to, like, it's a constant initiative to look and find great people, right? And the hiring process yeah. never stops. You're not waiting to have to fill a position. You're constantly looking of how am I finding good people? How do I build a pipeline of good people that I can continue to plug in uh, because it because of your you're dealing with some of the turnover and the things that you've mentioned. Yeah, yeah, and that, you know, and if you can fix that problem, life is a lot better when your yes. turnover is low. I can tell you, it's made a huge difference for me. Um, you know, doing that. So. Um, so a couple questions and then we'll wrap up here. But if, if, if um, you know, the employee, the service industry in general, people's expectations are a lot different than they used to be. And it seems like customer ser customers' civility, for whatever reason, we're starting to lose that civility in the, in the service industry where customers, and it's not all customers, of course, it's a small percentage of customers, but we struggle with, customers that just lose their minds for whatever reasons over seemingly small things. And they don't, they don't have that civility toward that customer service person like they used to. Um, it's, I, I think it's a challenge. I want to know your, your thoughts on that. And then what, what are some things managers can do to help their employees not take that personally and to deal with that irate irrational customer? <laughs> I, I heard this at the car wash show. This is back to dealing with the insane public. Like, you know, they're coming right. in and you're like, you know, they're like, oh, I get the scratch in my car and your car wash did it. And you're like, well, actually our car wash doesn't even touch your car. It's a touch loop, right? right. It's like, so it's, it's, it is that, that challenge when you're dealing with the general public that I think you have in, in, in your, your industry that's going to come up. You know, you're talking about, obviously my 
my core competency is, is training those managers to be great coaches and, and that kind of thing. I think this is more on the, the, like the frontline customer service um, side of things. In my experience, it's, um, it's so hard because what I'm about to say, I think I'm assuming that people are rational and they're not. Because <laughs> I think what you're doing, right? like I'm a little bit from that, that, that place of you still, you're still kind, you're still professional on how you handle something, but you're also, you know, you're also being truthful. And I believe that most people know the truth. They know if they're not being honest about something on their car, they know that. And they may respond with anger, yelling, or however they respond. But if you're being kind and professional and being truthful, then that's all you have control over. And I think when managers are working with the frontline staff, it's just reminding them that, you know, we need to take ownership for what we stand for and, and we're going to deliver a clean car and we're going to like the things that you're committed to in an efficient time and those things. And if you're not delivering that, you're going to make it right and help instill that in the employees. But also there's going to be times, no matter what you do, people are going to respond how they respond. And that doesn't mean it's about you. It doesn't mean it's about you personally. It means that that's what people do. Cause I, that's, there's anything I've learned to being in the people business is what people do and how people show up is about them. It's not about the situation or other people. Yeah. It's their own stuff because it shows up in a pattern in other areas of their life as well. That's right. That's right. And I, we try to explain it's not about the employee because no. a lot of times when the customer is yelling at that employee, they take it personally. They mean it's about them. It's not about them. You know, they, they don't even know you as a person. And so it's not about you. It's about that person. It's about what's going on in their lives. And the frustrations and challenges and maybe the way they just learn to deal with things maybe they think yelling is a you know and screaming and yelling is a way to get things done but it's not it's it's, it's not about you and, and that's something we've got to train our employees to do because it takes some emotional toll on them you know they only have to deal with you know one or two or three people like that a week and it just kind of takes a toll over time uh, you know, and, and we have people leave the car wash industry because they don't like it and they can't. You know, most of the people, that's, that's, I could see that being a, a challenge you face a lot in your industry. I think um, most people that start getting angry, they need something to push against. So they're looking for you to challenge them. They're looking for you to, you know, right? right. So when you, when you don't give them that, that pressure, you're, when you respond in, in a kind, professional way, and you're also like, Let's, you know, let, let me, let's, whatever the next step is, let me, let me see, do I need to talk to a manager? Let's see what we need to do to make this right. We're going to give you a free car wash for next time you come. Like, what is it um, that's going to make it right? And then there might be a point where, once again, they know they're not being truthful. And you may say, actually, no, I know our car wash would never do a scratch like that. I'm just using that example because someone right. told me that at the car wash show. Yeah. <laughs> but if that's the case, you're being honest with them. They're going to respond. It's okay. It's not, it's not about you. You're, you're, you're doing your job. You are professional. You're focusing on what we can control and it's not about you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Good. Good. So if, if you're a car wash owner like me and you want to get better at this, what are two or three steps you could take to sort of get started on this journey of developing a great team? All starts number one with developing yourself. You, you listen to podcasts like this, you read books, you go to sessions, you go to the car wash show, you go to different seminars, even outside the industry, you hire a coach, you, uh, you know, so invest in you because you can't influence other people or your team or your organization if you, or if you don't have the ability and impact 
to influence yourself. So I would absolutely start with developing yourself. I mean, that's so to me, that's, that's the essence. I mean, I think that's the foundation. If I were, if I were to pick one thing, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great one because, you know, and I think everybody listening to this podcast is probably already doing that because they're, they're believing learning and they want to get better at what they're doing. And so I think, you know, kudos to all our listeners that are listening, but, but then I think also, you know, deciding to make the employees a priority. And I, I've always felt like if I make the employees a priority, they'll take care of the customers. And I've, I've always said, you know, in my business, I've got three stakeholders. I've got employees, I've got customers, and I've got the owners and investors, and I've got to look out for all three interests, but, you yes. know, really making a focus and making your employees a priority in your organization, as far as training and development and, you know, developing the, the values, you know, getting, you know, sitting down, telling them what the values are of the organization. And then really doing on a day-to-day basis, I think being consistent is one of the most important things you can do to really drive and develop a culture. No, no question. And I think, David, it's, it's, so you start by developing you, and then the next step is developing your team, developing your team members. And, and you know from hearing my presentation that I, I believe it starts with you, but when you show up with that, that I believe it's leading like a coach. And leading like a coach is – you're, you're curious, you're asking the right questions, you're listening, you're getting to know your team. Right. Expectations, you're holding people accountable. And you're having those like, you know, you're, and in your business, I think a lot of you that are the owners that are listening to this, it's developing, you're just like I do. I coach the coaches, that's what you guys do. You own the business. How do you develop the coaches? How do you develop your managers, your supervisors to ultimately impact the rest of the team? And that's what you want to be able to do as a, as a leader. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And just making it part of every day, right? Be, being consistent, you know, coaching every day. I think that's where you're going to see the big, big improvement. So I, I agree. Absolutely. And I, I do think there are going to be winners and losers in the car wash industry and the people that can provide really great customer service and really focus on the customer experience. I think those are going to be the winners in the long run. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah. Good. Well, Dean, thank you so much. If people want to find out more information about you, where would you send them to? Um, yeah, they could. I, my website is uh, www.savocaperformancegroup.com and Savoka's S A V as in Victor O C A. They can also reach me uh, email at dean at savocaperformancegroup.com. And yeah, I would love to connect with anybody who's. I, I'm passionate about this as I shared earlier yeah. about people development, but if they're interested in aligning their team or training their managers to be great coaches, that's. That's what I do. Yeah, super exciting stuff. And I love that stuff. And I appreciate what you're doing and appreciate you coming to the Car Wash Show and starting to get involved in the car wash industry. And hopefully you'll be able to spend a little bit more time in the car wash industry as time goes on. So, but yeah, so Dean, I appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, great information. So if you're interested in what Dean might be able to offer your car wash, certainly reach out to him and see how he can help you. And we thank you for listening to this episode of the How of Car Washing. Again, we appreciate comments. So if you're listening to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Android, please leave a comment. Let us know what you think. And you can go to our website at www.thehowofcarwashing.com and let us know if you've got ideas for future episodes. And Dean, thank you so much. And this is David Begin for the How of Car Washing. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.